The Start On Demand. On demand. Kids are going back to school September 8th, and you have many questions about that. We'll try to answer some of them. Personal care homes will be allowing indoor visitors as of today, and the province says they'll foot the bill to set up outdoor shelters at those care homes. But we'll speak to someone who has major concerns about that. And I have to take my car in again. It's like the fifth time this year. And that prompted the question, what problems have you had with your cars over the years that drove you nuts? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Tuesday, June 23rd podcast for The Start. Text message at 204-780-6868 from Eve. Question of the day. Did Greg drive into work or stay home? The answer, if you will, please, Greg. I am at home. You remembered. Hmm. You sound, I'm not sure if you sound sad or happy about that. It was like a very, I'm trying to read your mood. Are you okay? Well, no, it was so (laughs) nice to be in the same building as Brett yesterday morning. And I I felt energetic. I felt positive. Last week, uh, we had lots of fun. uh, And being in the studio was a, a nice shift of scenery for me, but it was nice to be able to water my flowers this morning and to, uh, you know, to, to, to not have to drive into work and dodge all the people wandering around Portage Avenue at uh, 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> so that was nice. But uh, no, I if I had my druthers, I, I would be there with you this morning, Brett. And we also heard the voice of Loren McNabb. Loren, welcome back after a couple days off. Thank you. You know, I've been, I, I'm curious what listeners think about this. I was told years ago, it's so much fun in the summer to take, you know, the odd day around a weekend to build more long weekends out of your summer. Yep. So I've done that a few times this month and I, I gotta be honest, I'm not convinced it's the way to go. Really? It's so nice. Don't... Like I'm not complaining, but you don't really get that rest. Okay. Yeah. Cause I know a lot of people, I mean, and some of our, even of our own colleagues, will have a tendency to do that where they'll, instead of booking a solid vacation, they'll just book like a three-day or a four-day long weekend all through the summer. In fact, we <laughs> years back, one of our colleagues did it, Rowdy Robbie Holland. I don't know if you remember Robert Holland, but he, he booked long weekends all summer long, and I'm pretty sure... I think our boss at the time got so annoyed that he changed the vacation policy <laughs> and said, you got to book in solid week blocks because uh, this is uh, this is garbage. <laughs> I, I, I don't I know. <laughs> I don't know if that's exactly what went down. But uh, I have always wondered if I would like the long weekend. But, yeah, you know, even after just taking a week off. Um, by Wednesday, I, I, that's when I think I finally felt the recharge mm-hmm. and it was mm-hmm. that fi- having that fifth day that kind of made it feel real. So I think you might be onto something, Loren, but let us know 204-780-6868. What would you prefer? Like a full week off or two weeks off? Or would you prefer the long weekends? What about you, Greg? I think I like the longer stretches, although I, you know, I like to take a day off and a day day off here and there and it's typically to go away somewhere so i think the last time i took a day was to go skiing with the boys and their class and then i think the last kind of day off that i booked off was back in november beginning of december 
when I went to California for the weekend. So yeah, don't ask me. I'm not the guy to get <laughs> advice on when it comes to holidays because I seem to always be going somewhere. But there is a possibility it might take a couple of days off next week to do essentially nothing. Uh, Kelly Moore is trying to talk me into that. Loren, you've been trying to talk me into that. So uh, I'm just not used to having time off and not either getting on a plane or getting in a car to go somewhere. I don't know if I can handle it, but I'm prepared to try. I think you'll be just fine. I think you'll, <laughs> you'll come to realize, oh, so this is what relaxing is like. Like, Loren, you got some relaxing time in, did you not? Yeah, I was super surprise Thursday morning. It was my birthday and um, uh, my husband surprised me with a, a room at a hotel in Winnipeg because they've sort of just revamped and not reopened, but you know, they're pre- preparing for a lot more guests. And so he said, go recharge, get a massage, relax, you know, like um, it's done such a great job with the kids. And so I was so excited to climb into, you know, this king size bed and just sort of sleep the day away and maybe get some room service and all the rest. But then when I got to the hotel, they just that day announced that the pools were reopening at this hotel and the kids were standing next to me. And they're like, I said, don't worry, you're not missing now. The pool and the water slide aren't open. And the guy behind the desk is like, actually, we just reopened today. And I'm like, shut it, dude. But then I had honestly already been feeling so guilty about taking the time for myself. Not because I like I I don't want it or need it, but I, I felt like the kids could also deserve something different, and we were fortunate enough to be able to do that. So it was still a relaxing time, but they were with me, and uh, it was fun. I like I some of my best memories as a kid are stopping along the highway on the Trans Canada and some of those you know sixty nine ninety nine <laughs> night hotels and figuring out what the pool had to offer, and so it's always fun to feel a little bit more normal. So I will say this weekend I, it was the first time I actually felt like okay, we're getting there. We had the pool to ourselves. Nobody was in it. We had to book like an hour slots so they could keep people separated. But still a little bit more normal than I felt even a week ago. You raise a good point, though, on the, the some of the best memories. Like, I can't actually remember where this was, if it was in North Dakota or if it was Minnesota. I think I was eight years old. It was definitely in the States, and we were staying at a Ramada, and our room was poolside. Um, and I seem to remember it being like a... Like a pool party, I'm sure there, I mean, I was eight, I don't quite remember, but there were at least 50 kids in that pool, and uh, my parents let us stay up late. I mean, how could we go to sleep with a whole bunch of kids, you know, dive-bombing this pool on a near-constant basis? But I had a blast. And then, actually, another Ramada pool memory was downtown Calgary in my early 20s. I went out to Calgary with a couple of friends, and we stayed downtown, and they had this, like, rooftop pool in the middle of downtown Calgary, and it was wild. So, yeah, pool memories. They're fun, Mackling. Yeah, nothing like that din that's created in an indoor pool. That's a sound unlike anything else. You cannot (laughs) recreate that anywhere else other than those courtyard hotels with the solarium roof and you've got uh, kids yelling and screaming in the water slide. There's a place in Medicine Hat that we stopped at about four summers ago when we drove out to the Okanagan and uh, that's where we watched the Tragically Hip concert. And holy man, it was a Saturday night and there were people of all ages. It was like you talk about a party. It was absolutely crazy in there. But the energy and the noise and the sound was, like I say, something that's exclusive to that type of property, that type of experience. So, uh, yeah, really good memory uh, setting there, guys.
Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Keep those text messages coming at 204-780-6868 for your chance to win a Santa Lucia pizza. We're asking you about the crazy, maddening problems that you've had with your cars over the years, inspired by the fact that I have to take my car in today for like the fifth time this year. I'm getting so frustrated with it. It's just become a money pit. I've had it. If I Had I known... I was going to spend as much money as I have on repairs. I would have just gotten a new car. So I'm mad. Brett smash. Hey, starting today, designated family caregivers will once again be permitted to make indoor visits at long-term care homes in this province, Greg. Now, depending on how you're feeling about the number of COVID cases we're seeing in Manitoba, Brett, this is either welcome news or worrying news. And it's not the only change coming to personal care homes. To help make future visits more safe, the province has launched an ambitious plan to build all-season outdoor shelters at all Manitoba care homes by October, Loren. Yeah, it's a pretty fast timeline. And our next guest is Connie Newman. She's the executive director of the Manitoba Association of Senior Centres. And she has a number of questions about how all of the above we just outlined visits starting today, as well as those all season homes or outdoor shelters are going to work. Good morning, Connie. Good morning. Well, let's start, first of all, with the indoor visits that are being allowed in some fashion as, as of today. We use the word worrying worrying or welcoming, depending on what side of the equation you're sitting on, your thoughts and all this, where do you sit in terms of the fact that indoor visits will be allowed in some fashion as of today? Well, I don't think they're going to happen in some fashion as of today. I'm directly involved with three personal care, uh, two personal care homes plus an alternative. And yesterday by 1230, I got the notice that this wasn't happening right away because they have to set this up. And so when you think about it, where is the staff coming from to ensure that before I go in to visit my loved one, I am COVID-free and the testing and the questions, et cetera. So I don't know how the staff inside um, personal care homes is going to make this happen today because it was a surprise to one that I'm involved with. So you don't. So you're suggesting that even though the the they have permission to start these visits, that they might not actually happen yet. I mean, depending on the facility. I yes. I I don't know how you if you think about if you've gone into a hospital recently, and they do that security check etc. and ask you all those questions. That takes people power. So if you think about a personal care home today. Some of them have, well, all of the ones I have virtual visits, so they've got somebody that mans an iPad, takes it to the resident, and they set that up. That's inside. Some of them, the ones I'm involved with, have outdoor visits that are scheduled, and that takes more staff. And now we've got a third option, indoors. Where's the people power coming from? And especially today, they're going to have yep. to juggle something on the inside. I was labor at a personal... intensive with a, a, sorry, Connie, labor intensive on short notice, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And when we look at what's happened in some of the pers- personal care homes beyond Manitoba, we have to have this labor intensive. We have to ensure that our friends and family who are at risk 
that they are protected, and that's going to take people power. And I'm not sure they can turn that around in less than 24 hours. I know for so sure one at- of them can't. No, I'm sure not. Uh, let's let's take a look at what's uh, planned for the next several months here. The province saying they're going to foot the bill for these all-season outdoor shelters uh, at Manitoba Care Homes. How do you make sure that these these shelters are and these facilities are welcoming places? Uh, it sounds like a, a, a challenge. Any concerns on your part about how they'll be rolled out or how they'll work, Connie? Yes, it's a short answer. I can't vision this because many of the residents in a personal care home are wheelchair-bound. So how are they going to get from point A to point B to visit a loved one in a all-seasons building? And how are we going to build this for 40 below weather in Manitoba? Is the idea neat? It's awesome. Again, it requires staff to monitor it, and I I have a real feeling for staff inside personal care homes because I don't think they're getting paid enough for doing some of the stuff that they're doing. And we know, Connie, when we look west, or sorry, east rather, to Ontario and the issues we've seen there with long-term care facilities that all sorts of people across this country are looking at just how long-term care facilities are staffed, whether there's enough people and all the rest, let alone when you add another layer like this onto the equation, like an additional building that might need to have staff members frequenting it, potentially security or what have you. So lots of questions to be raised before October, and yet the timeline is really tight. If they want these built by October, they have to start really, really darn quick. Well, I would agree. And yesterday I was in a personal care home and I asked about my friend getting a haircut. Well, we're not letting the hairdressers back into personal care homes yet because of COVID. And yet, you know, how we look and how we feel is very important. So I'm not sure that the process is the right process today. Because you'd have to let construction workers into these care homes, or at least onto the grounds. Absolutely. And more noise and more upheaval. I, I, I can't vision the model. And I think about uh, one of them that I'm actively involved with. I'm not sure where they could put this additional room, we'll say, because they've, they've got no, not a lot of outside space. The other one I'm involved with, it could be an add-on or an enclosure, like a sunroom, an all-season sunroom, which could happen. But it's a lot of construction. Connie Newman is the Executive Director of the Manitoba Association of Seniors Centres, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Connie, thank you for the time, as always. Listen, you have a good day, all of you. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you so far for the text that you have shared on the problems you've had with your cars over the years. We're giving away a Santa Lucia pizza just before 9 o'clock based on your stories, so we will pick a winner right before then. But this conversation is inspired by the fact that I have to take my car in again to the dealership. I think this is the fourth or the fifth time this year. The latest issue it was uh, the other day I got sort of this, like warning alarm it wasn't just a check engine light it was like bing 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 oil pressure low oil pressure low shut engine down and uh it seems to be intermittent i know when the oil pressure 
<laughs> that, that's bad if you drive it when the oil pressure is low. I'm hoping it's just a faulty sensor. But I'm also just kind of at my wit's end. Like, I, I, I've spent, I think, $3,000 on my car since November with various repairs, and I'm just so tired of it. Had I known I was going to be spending this much money on repairs, I would have just gotten rid of the car and gotten a new one. So... And then just made me think of horror stories. My parents had a Pontiac 6000 that had overheating issues. I had a Ford Taurus that had all kinds of problems. Like a, It had overheating issues as well. And by the end, it would stall, and then sometimes I couldn't get it started again. So it wasn't just like, will, I, will this car stall? It's will it stall out, and then I won't be able to get it started. Like I remember sitting in a parking lot, uh, the parking lot by the Walmart and Superstore just off Regent, and I was at a four-way intersection, and the lineup was building behind me. I, ah, the anxiety, I hate it! So, <laughs> what stories do you guys have? <laughs> Kelly, you got one? Oh, I have a couple. Actually, <laughs> I love it when you get to Brett Smash territory. I really do. Um, <laughs> Way back when, it was funny, my wife just reminded me of this. We had a Plymouth Voyager that had windshield wipers with a mind of their own. You'd be driving along, and whether you turned them on or not, they would just start up. So we uh, we took it in, and uh, they did some kind of work on it or whatever. Said, yep, problem's fixed, no problem. Yeah, right. Uh I don't know, a couple of weeks later or whatever, there they go, the Phantom windshield wipers again. And now the fact that the current vehicle we have is about 10 or 11 years old uh, probably has a lot to do with this. But, you know, the, the tailgate lift where you press the button and then you open up the back, we don't have that special button where it opens up on itself. Well, some days it open, it'll open and some days it'll remain locked. So all of a sudden you've got a bunch of groceries sitting in the back and you can't get the tailgate to open up. Oh, no. Yeah. So what do you do? <laughs> Was it like milk well, in there? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I climbed through the back the and car. all the groceries out. But <laughs> it's uh, it, it, it's weird. So you're going to have to have that uh, looked at. But uh, I'm just wondering if that's going to be the same thing as our phantom windshield wipers. Okay, that's a good one. Uh, what about you, Bron? Uh, when I was in college, I drove, uh, I w- it was the mid-90s, and I was driving about a 10-year-old Dodge Shadow, and it leaked oil a lot, to the point where I was in college in Brandon, and if I go home to Altona on the weekend, it's a three-hour drive, I would have to put in, take three extra liters of oil with me on the drive. That's how much it would use for a three-hour trip, three liters. So I bought the stuff by the pallet at the <laughs> gas station. The guy looked at me like I was crazy. I was like, I'll take all the oil you got, all the W through 10W30 or whatever it is. And I drove that car for three years like that. It was just insane. How much did you spend on oil, do you figure? I have no idea. I've not done the math. It was, it was college, so money sort of means different. But I spent a lot, a lot more than I should have, that's for sure. Okay, what about you, Loren McNabb? This isn't a car that I owned, but it, when I was in my early 20s, I had worked uh, in Zimbabwe, Africa for about six months, and my sister came to visit, and we decided we were going to drive from Harare to Cape Town, which is, I think, easily a 2,700, if not 3,000-kilometer one-way trip, and we rented a Peugeot, and to this day, if I see that brand or type of car on the street, like I shudder. Because from the border all the way down to Cape Town, every single day, it had something go wrong with it. So an alternator went on day one. Day two, uh, someone, the gas attendant put in 
petrol into what was a diesel uh, standard car. So oh, then no. the engine seized. Then we got to the southern point of South Africa and the windshield wipers stopped working. So we spent money in a rainstorm on that stuff that you spray on the windshield. It's like my Ace Ventura moment that you like wipe it down and it helps the water bead. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It's like almost like an oil you spray on the windshield. So it helped the water go off. Then as we got, once we got to Cape Town, we collapsed in just like pure, thank God we're here and we're okay kind of thing. And then on the way home, it broke down again on the side of the road. And so by the time we got back to, I mean, it was a great trip all around, but I, I cannot handle that car. I look at it and I think just it's the worst thing that was ever invented in terms of cars. I'm sure it's fine probably for other people, but it was a Peugeot. I hate it. I hate it to this day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can feel it too. It's palatable that hatred that, that what you just described is giving me anxiety. And Greg, you also had a great story. Well, I decided when I was uh, 19 that it'd be a good idea to drive my 1972 MGB convertible to North Carolina and back. And the way there was fine. On the way back, uh, probably should have changed the oil because I'd also driven the vehicle from Vancouver and eh, well, you know, maintenance isn't really a strong suit when you're 19. And so I was at the Tri-State Tollway in Chicago, heading into Chicago, my vehicle filled with smoke, got managed to get through Chicago into Wisconsin, the car broke down, had to get a tow truck they were shutting down the uh, garage uh, in about an hour to redo power because of the tornado that had gone through there the week before. Long story short, I still had about 12 hours worth of driving to do, and I had to push start the car every single time I stopped for gas, a bite to eat, or a nap. In fact, one guy pushed me on Interstate 94 bumper to bumper for about half a mile to get me going at one point. It was the most stress, most stressful two days of my life. Oh, yeah, I still have a car. <laughs> Text from Mike, who says, My tale of woe was several years ago when MPI mandated that anti-theft immobilizers be installed in a lot of vehicles, mine included. Everything was fine for a while, but then it started draining the battery, rending the truck immobile. So it truly was an immobilizer. This went on for some time until MPI agreed the unit the, the unit was at fault and allowed for a new one to be installed. So keep those texts coming at 204-780-6868. We want to know the stories, the tales of woe you have had with your automobiles over the years and I see them just flooding in now. So- The winner is going to get a Santa Lucia pizza. I'm hoping to be able to afford to get a Santa Lucia pizza after I take my car in today for the fourth or fifth time this year. I can't even remember. I've lost count. And we're getting so many great stories. I mean, obviously, they're awful stories, but they're great stories of awful things like art saying my first car was a 1964 Volvo 544, and it had several idiosyncrasies. One When applying the brakes, the right side of the car would brake before the left, so I got used to turning the steering wheel left when applying the brakes. This was a tough habit to break. Two, when going through puddles, you had to pull up on the clutch pedal, otherwise you would get splashed on your legs. Was this like Fred Flintstone's car? Three, there was an intermittent short in the brake light circuit. Kept blowing fuses. I solved that problem by replacing the fuse with a a bolt. LOL. (laughs) Once in the while, the whole car would dim and sputter, but it never blew another fuse. So thank you so much for all those stories. 
I just remember because of that text, we had a Cutlass Supreme maroon. It was my grandmother's car, huge beast of a thing that by the time it got handed down to my youngest brother, the floor was very much like a Fred Flintstone car. And you would just sort of cover it up with the floor mat and pretend like you couldn't see the pavement scurrying by below. (laughs) You're like, that's not fixable. You can't fix a hole in the bottom of your car. So let's just pretend like it's not there. (laughs) Well, and that's what it, when, when you have as many problems as, uh, we have had with cars. Sometimes you just try to pretend it's not there. Like the the running joke that people always text us is, "Hey, I got a, sol- a solution for the check engine light. Just put a piece of tape over it, mm-hmm. and uh, problem solved. <laughs> and eventually, no it'll question. just go away on its own." Question of the day at cjob.com, brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca. Call two zero four nine eight seven sixty eight ninety. Kids are going back to school September eighth after Labor Day. Are you okay with that date, or were you hoping they would return in late August? And so far. At cjob.com, 69% say was hoping for late August, and then uh, 31% say I'm good with September 8th. Then we threw that poll up on Twitter as well, and it's the complete reverse. 80% say I'm good with September 8th, and 20% say hoped for late August. So, Greg, uh, what are you hoping for? Are you hoping to get rid of them in late August? I wasn't hoping to get rid of them. I was just hoping they were going to get an opportunity to make sure that they were ready to go for the following year. Because, you know, for as long as the school year is, A, it feels like they waste a ton of time. B, it feels like they're always behind the eight ball in order, like with regard to getting their assignments done and getting projects done. And, you know, to make it a little more personal, my kids are going from junior high school into high school. And that's a big transition. And I don't care if you're going from grade 8 to grade 9 or if you're going from grade 5 to grade 6, going from elementary to middle school. There are a ton of kids that are making a lot of transitions, big transitions. And to be behind right off the bat, I don't think that's a, you know, a great idea. And so to take a substantial amount of time out of September to make sure and to qualify where everybody is, because I think they're going to have to do this, I think is problematic. And for them to go back a few days early in August, I think would have, A, made it feel a little bit more like here's the week we're going to spend making sure you're where you need to be. And then when we come back after the Labor Day weekend, come back on the Tuesday or even make it an extra long weekend and come back on the Wednesday, then we're going to kick off the year. But now you're going to, I don't know, unless they're going to definitively state, here's the next five, six, seven, eight, ten days, school days that we're going to spend making sure you're where you need to be. Um, I just, uh, I, I think they're taking up too much of the school year. I think it's going to catch up to them. I, I'm surprised that there's from, from the outlook at the, at the outset right now, because they've announced yesterday that they're returning to school September 8th. They had originally the province thrown out a possible return of August 31st. So that's five days of school that they're not getting as originally proposed. I am surprised that we're not hearing about any changes to the calendar year, Greg, with the exception of teachers losing three PD days so that they can come back to school early to prep. So I, I'm, I'm 
questioning how we can have had all this massive upheaval over the last three months at no fault of the schools, no fault of the teachers, no fault of anyone, but it's happened. And so I am curious as to how we're not going to have a, any additional days in the kids' school year. Some might argue less because there have been years in the past that you do go back a few days before Labor Day. Not always, but that, that was the case at least, you know, years ago. So the, there are no calendar changes at all um, at this point that we know of is surprising. But one thing I would like answered sooner rather than later, and we're hearing this from listeners as well, is is that assessment part. And they said, you know, once they shut down schools in March, April, May, we did hear from the education minister that there was going to be some assessment when they come back to school so we can see where the kids are at. So I'd like to know how they fit that in and when that's going to happen. Because as you mentioned, we, we need to know early on where our children are. Are if they're ahead or behind in math, science, English, French, whatever right. you know might have been the challenge, and so we all know, Brett. I mean, you take summer off, you lose a few of the things you learned the year before, right? So much of I mean, I know we're all a few years removed from school, but getting back to school in September, you do have a lot of refreshment weeks where you try to refresh your memory on things you learned, let alone things you may have learned from your mom or dad. Well, especially things like math or even language or their skills, right? And if you don't practice them, then they get rusty real fast. And that's why I can't do any math now without a calculator. But the the interesting thing that I find about this is, you know, I think back to when I was in school and I always hated going back to school before Labor Day, whether it was during just my regular school years or if it was post-secondary school. I always despised Red River, for example, because they always made us go back before Labor Day. But of course, things are a little bit different this year because the kids haven't, they don't get two months off. They've been away from school already since March. So I think I... I can sort of understand why a lot of people would like to see them get back sooner than later, uh, because it's not like they're they're losing out on anything. They've already had so many more days off. Exactly. And so that assessment piece is also critical. I'm glad you brought it up, Loren, because I think that's where you could be doing that assessment piece. And if you go in in the first couple of days and the teacher's comfortable that you're where you need to be, then maybe you don't need to be there for that entire first week. But at least you, you're you comfortable that the teacher is comfortable with where your skill set is at and that, yep, you know what, you're good. You come back on the 8th or the 9th and we're going to get going. But for those that might need a little bit of extra help in order to get there, I think it's a benefit not only for those kids, but also the kids that have kept up, that did do their homework, that did strive to raise their grades over the last several weeks. Because as I mentioned earlier, the word got out, word was on the street that you could not uh, see your marks go down after March 23rd. I had my kids say to me, the Minister of Education said so, Dad. Didn't you hear him on the news? That's your job. And it's like, whoa, really? And it's like, yeah, they've been all talking about this. So if, if you think your kids weren't in the loop on what was going on, you're not in the loop. And so uh, I think it's absolutely essential that we get a good idea of where the kids are uh, heading back. Otherwise, not only does this last three months um, you know, turn into an absolute disaster, then the next six months to a year could turn into a disaster. Maybe not for all kids, but for enough of them 
that it might uh, derail their entire educational course here. And it might sound like an exaggeration, but I had a horrible grade nine math teacher and it ruined my love of math henceforth. And uh, I don't think you can underestimate how quickly kids can uh, turn their attention and their affection or lack thereof for schoolwork and, and different subject, Brett. But there's not just the issue that the grades didn't weren't going to change. They could the, So they had said that grades could improve, but they weren't going to be any worse than they were off in March. We also know there are people who we've heard from our own listeners who didn't have proper internet access, don't have cell service, couldn't get on the course curriculum online. There's whole divisions uh, and schools uh, up north that had challenges getting stuff to their students just because of geography and, again, because of that whole internet disparity between different communities. So that was part of the problem. Then you had parents who might not have been at home. We were lucky enough to be at home where I could go upstairs and say, hey, fractions now. Well, a lot of parents had to still go to work. And then we're coming home at the end of a long shift, both parents, and then trying to put school together. So there was all sorts of things going on. And yes, everybody deserves a break. Everybody deserves to have as best summer as they possibly can. But in addition to the assessment on their curriculum come fall, there also is going to have to be a mental health assessment. There's just all sorts of things going on that have changed in little kids' minds, big kids' minds. And so the more days, in my mind, the better rep. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I'm just going to take a, give you a peek behind the curtain into the mad scramble that is working with Greg and Loren from home. It is a routine that I find exhausting every day because right up until I crack the mic, we're still figuring out <laughs> the exact order of operations that we want to do things here uh, because it's hard when none of us are in the same building. Greg's at home. Loren's at home. Forte's in master control. Jeff Braun's at home. Kelly Moore is at home. So hopefully uh, a return to normal soon. But I believe we want to we want to talk about personal care homes in a moment. But before that, uh, Loren and Greg, we have been getting a lot of text messages on uh, schools and the the discussion that we've been having this morning about kids going back to school. So, uh, Greg, why don't we start with you? Because you had some text messages that uh, you really uh, caught your attention. Yeah, you know, and I certainly hope uh, that nobody uh, got the sense that we were slamming teachers in that segment. Uh, We have all sorts of, I can speak for myself, all sorts of respect for teachers, how hard they've been working during this pandemic, basically doing double duty in some cases. Uh, Kids coming in, to get extra work, uh, kids that don't have internet connectivity, dropping off workbooks. Uh, teachers have done yeoman's work and then some in the last several months, and I think they do normally. But uh, Loren and I were express- expressing our concern about when is that assessment going to take place? And one of our listeners says that's what June was for. Teachers were to do assessment to see where kids are at. I've done that. This is obviously a teacher and passed it on to the next teacher. And all I wanted to know was, did you have all your kids coming in? Because, well, I don't want to out anybody, but not all the kids were coming into my boys' classroom uh, this last month. And uh, this listener says, all my kids came in and uh, and uh, their own children also attended. So she's a, he or she, I don't know who this is, I don't have a name here, is also a teaching principal. So we made it very clear to our families the purpose of why we needed them to come in in June was for assessment to plan for next year. So that is what we are doing now. So thank you for that. Thank you for your hard work. 
For sure, they did an assessment with the kids that went to the June sessions. And so you both made good points. The assessment was supposed to have happened over the last few weeks in those in-class sessions, but not all kids may have been able to get to those sessions, depending on, you know, their parents' schedules or getting to work. Even in my own household, uh, my husband had to take uh, a morning off because there was no way I could get him to class on time, right? So there was all sorts of things going on that may have prohibited some kids getting to class to do that assessment, which is why we were raising questions about reassessing in the fall, because not everybody will have done that. So there's going to be all sorts of things we have to look at in the days and weeks ahead. The school question is part of the equation. And then, Brett, of course, we were talking personal care homes in the last hour because there was more change coming as of today for them. Yeah, that's right. Starting today, designated family caregivers will once again be permitted to make indoor visits at long-term care homes in this province. Connie Newman is the executive director of the Manitoba Association of Senior Centres, and she has a number of questions on how visits will work. Oh, hang on a second. Part of the mad scramble involves me turning my all of my equipment on. Let's try this again. We have to ensure that our friends and family who are at risk that they are protected, and that's going to take people power. And I'm not sure they can turn that around in less than 24 hours. Now, Connie Newman says she also wonders if these all-season shelters will be staffed to enforce social distancing or they'll have to do temper checks. And she also wonders how quickly they can go up. More noise and more upheaval. I, I, I can't vision the model. And I think about uh, one of them that I'm actively involved with. I'm not sure where they could put this additional room, we'll say, because they've, they've got no, not a lot of outside space. The other one I'm involved with, it could be an add-on or an enclosure, like a sunroom, an all-season sunroom, which could happen. But Two things. it's a lot of construction. Apologies, I stepped on Connie there. She joined us in the last hour, and there was two things that were on her uh, table today, so to speak, when it comes to her concerns. One is the fact that in-home visits, to some extent, are permitted as of today, but she questioned whether any of these homes would be ready to do that because, as she pointed out, you have to have staff prepared to take in any of these designated caregivers, make sure there's the appropriate person on the list, what space, what room will you have in facilities for these family members to meet with their loved ones that they maybe haven't seen in months. So it's a really great step forward forward for those who have been missing their parent or mom or dad or brother or sister, whoever's in this long-term care facility that they haven't physically been able to see since mid-March. But on the other hand, how are you staffing to make sure you're hitting all those check marks for COVID uh, questions and concerns? And then down the road, we were talking about the idea that the province said yesterday, Greg, they're going to build these all-season shelters. Uh, They want to have them all up by October at 127 different facilities. So Connie there was saying, who has the space to do this? How many of them have that space? How quickly can they go up? Can the construction workers then just be allowed in and outside of buildings? I mean, there's all sorts of things logistically that clearly still have to be worked out. Yeah, two text messages here that uh, stand out for me. One from Nathan says, I'm struggling to visualize an all-weather outdoor space that isn't essentially an indoor space. And, uh, you know, I had visions of a smoking shack or a, or a bus shelter when this was first announced. And obviously that's not what the intention is here. And one of our listeners is a contractor and says this idea of an all season building outside, which is now an inside building funded by the government at what about uh, 30,000 to 50,000 a pop all by October 
yeah, he doesn't buy it. If it's a permitted uh, commercial project funded by the government, they will be required to be fully finished with commercial standards and hospital standards. Goes on to say it's a pipe dream. Let us know what you think. 204-780-6868. And again, the question of the day at cjob.com on the subject of schools. Kids are going back to school September 8th after Labor Day. Are you okay with that date or were you hoping they would return in late August? And the question of the day uh, results... 75%, hang on, let me just refresh that. Yeah, 75% say was hoping for late August, and 25% say I'm good with September 8th. Last time I checked Twitter, the results were com- the complete reverse. It was, I think, 80-20 in favor of I'm good with September 8th. The question of the day, by the way, is brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. 913 on 680 CJOB. <laughs> At the end of this segment, so in about five minutes' time, we shall declare our winner for the Santa Lucia pizza because we've been getting your texts all morning long at 204-780-6868. You've been sharing the problems, the anxiety-inducing problems, the maddening problems that you've had with your cars over the years because I'm taking my car in again today for the fourth or fifth time this year. The latest problem, oil pressure low, shut engine down. This could be the end for my car because oil pressure... Problems are bad, but we have gotten so many great stories. Uh, Greg, why don't we start with you? Which one's caught your attention? Well, this one is at the top of my list. My friend gave me, here's the first alert, his 18-year-old 1974 Dodge Dart in 1992. Every day seemed to be its last. One day was driving my carpool out to Otterburn, one hour south of Winnipeg. The wheel bearing died. We were stranded on the highway. Hated that car. Lesson, always buy a car. And I said uh, to this listener, yeah, yeah, people aren't typically giving away cars that work well. And I think actually that listener, if and I forgot to put include that, but then that listener was also gifted a Dodge Aries. Uh, <laughs> which, also, which also mm. wasn't uh, a great car. <laughs> and for that person, they, they now say uh, no more Dodge. Uh, what about you, Loren? Well, this is a story I like because I think this has probably happened to so many people. Adam wrote that he bought a new 2019 Kia Rio 5 last August for his birthday. Since then, every couple of months, the car loses all power to interior and exterior lights. The doors won't lock and it switches digital gauges from standard to imperial. Adam says he's taken it to the dealer three times now. And of course, before appointment day, it always fixes itself and they can't find the problem. And I have had that happen, whether it's your car or with your body. You're like, I swear to you, like (laughs) this light always comes on and the oil's low and the gauges aren't working. And you bring it in. They say, it's like when you go to the doctor, he's like, normally uh, my throat's doing this or my leg was swollen as of five minutes ago. And now it's not, you know, like it just, the problem corrects itself and you waste all that money. And then I guarantee Adam should let us know how many times he's driven off the lot or away from the mechanic and 24 hours later that light is back on. Oh, that's the worst when that kind of thing happens. What other stories you see in here, Greg? I owned a car once and in the first year, this is from Kathy, the check engine light came on about four times. Sounds like you, Brett. In the same first year, I had to bring it in because it was running roughly only to find the spark plugs had to be replaced. Then, in the same first year, the transmission blew and was replaced. The straw that broke the camel's back was when I got uh, went to get out of the driver's seat and the door handle 
was in my hand. My son came around to let me out, and the car was brought back to the dealership and traded in. Yeah, sometimes you just get a lemon. Uh, what do they say? Uh, built on a Friday or on a Monday. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But uh, we have, and we want to thank you for taking the time to share these stories. We've had so much fun with all the stories. Last week, yeah, I missed out on the, the barbecue palooza. Sounds like you guys had a blast with all those stories. And uh, we, we haven't responded to all of your texts this morning, but trust us, we have been reading them, furiously reading through them, because we had to find a winner. And we read this one earlier, but this story, I think, uh, gets the edge just based on the sheer insanity and uh, quite the harrowing journey of it all. And this comes from Rudy who says, in the middle of a cold winter, the rear differential on our car went and was replaced. We went to Mexico in the cold. We left our car because of the uh, leaking work that was done earlier. Wound up in Mexico five days longer due to our wife getting a bad virus. The plane on the way back then was delayed eight hours. Returning to Winnipeg at 3 a.m., we catch a cab to King Edward to pick up our car at 40 below. We drive the car near the Wellington Tim Hortons, and the car breaks down. We're over 64 years old. We pushed the car. We were not dressed for the weather. We just about got frostbite. We waited in the coffee shop and returned home in taxis. I won this trip, by the way. (laughs) $10,000 hospital bill, broken car. Everything worked out in time. We were just so glad to be home. So, Rudy, that is quite the tale. Thank you for sharing it. And for your efforts to you win a pizza... From Santa Lucia. So congratulations to you, Rudy. Two-topping, large pizza from Santa Lucia. We will be in touch with you to get some more details. And make sure you keep an eye on our social media for a chance to win another pizza, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, at 680CJOB. The trick is he has to go pick up the pizza himself in that car. Oh. That bad. <laughs> Just kidding. He's got to dig it out of the, of the junkyard, I think. He's going to have to push the car to the Santa and the Lucia pizza. and then hopefully push it home in time. In the before... Mexican clothes. <laughs> Sandals. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you so much for joining us this morning on The Start. Normally... When we welcome our next guest, it is to tap into his extensive knowledge, Greg, about the happenings with the Winnipeg Jets. Scott Billick of the Winnipeg Suns knows his hockey inside and out, to be sure. But he's also been extremely open with his personal battle with depression and anxiety. It's something I admire most about Scott, as in we uh, have that both in common. And something I think many of us will have in common, Loren, with Scott, is how much he loves his mother. Yeah, and last September, Scott's mom, Shirley, had surgery to repair a leaky heart valve at St. Boniface Hospital. And I don't want to tell the rest of the story. Let's bring in Scott to share how this went. Good morning, Scott. Hi, how are you guys doing? We're good, thank you. Uh, let's talk about the heart surgery and when she was brought in. How did it go? So the heart surgery itself was fine. Um, it was after that where complications uh, set in for my mom. Um, she has scoliosis, um, something uh, that, that started to affect uh, her lungs eventually. Um, her lungs uh, ended up uh, pretty much shutting down. Um, she ended up, uh, they tried to, at first they actually tried to move her off of the, uh, out of the, uh, the cardiac unit there at the Asper Center at St. Boniface. Um, I think they tried that uh, th- uh, three times before they, they had to put her back on oxygen in ICU. 
Uh, eventually that turned into a ventilator. Uh, and then eventually uh, she got a tracheotomy done and uh, she was still on the ventilator, but that's what ended up helping her uh, start to finally get better. Um, but yeah, it was, she was in the hospital for just under, under two months after her initial surgery date, which was only supposed to last, you know, upwards of, you know, I guess, uh, you know, roughly a week before they usually send you home uh, after that, providing there's no complications. And that uh, wasn't really the case in, in my mom's case. Scott, that's obviously a lot for anybody to go through and for family members on the sidelines to go through. How did you manage to keep focused on your job? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's weird. I had I'd started, um, so this past, September, I'd taken over the jet speed after Ken Weeb had left uh, to go to the athletics. So I'd been traveling um, while I was uh, while my mom was in the hospital. I was I was out in for the Heritage Classic out in Regina. Um, I was supposed to end up going out to California for a trip, and ended up not going uh, just because you know, my mom's situation was um, you know tenuous at that time, and, and weren't kind of sure which way that was going to go. So. Um, you know, it, it was tough, obviously, you know, trying to work, uh, trying to do a new job, of course, uh, while you're, um, you know, your mom's in the hospital and, and, and at one point not doing uh, so well. So, um, yeah, I, you know, you kind of get through it with, you know, family, a very supportive wife, of course, um, you know, my sister and, and my dad and all that. We were all at the hospital. I wouldn't say on a daily basis, at least for me, I, I was working, covering the Jets and, and doing that sort of thing. So I wasn't always there, uh, but my sister was and, and my dad was there every day. And so I mean, you still get all the updates and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, credit to, to all the staff, too, at, at St. Boniface. And I'm sure we can get into that. But, I mean, they were super helpful in, in you know, obviously being straight with us when it came to my home situation, but also being uh, supportive and, and just very, uh, I suppose, educational um, in, in terms of letting us know what was happening. And and we, we never really didn't know what, what was going on with my mom and what kind of treatment they were giving her. And, and even for my mom, who was at t- sometimes was kind of in and out of, of, of consciousness, uh, you know, they made sure as best as they could that she also knew um, what was going on and what they were doing in terms of treatment for her. So how much, Scott, is that ability for you to do what you need to do every day to, to keep your family supported, uh, you know, y- your wife and your child, to keep them fed and, and clothed and, and do all the things you're supposed to do? How much is that ability to, can you, to continue on in a circumstance like this, uh, your comfort level with how well your mom is being cared for, how well in the loop you're, you're being kept. Uh, I can only imagine that that goes such a long way. Yeah. Um, you know, you, even though you wouldn't be there for every doctor's update in the morning, they would do, um, you know, they, in, in the Asper center there, uh, the cardiac center where they um, do it every morning, they would have, a, I, I suppose, um a meeting of uh, you know doctors, all of the people that were caring for my mom and that sort of thing, and so you would always know, and somebody would be there, whether it's my sister or, or my dad. And so somebody, when we had like a group chat going as a family, where you could, you know, find out what was going on. But you always kind of knew because every morning, you know, you get a kind of a status update and that sort of thing. So yeah, I mean, always always in the loop, always knew kind of what was happening. Um, you know, obviously sometimes they're frustrating because you know you. 
you know, at the end of the day, you're you're kind of like, okay, why isn't she just healing? You know, what, what what's what's going on? And um, but you know, they were doing you know the best that they could, and and they did the best they could, and then they did, you know, eventually, you know, well, they they just did a great job in caring for a mom, and it does relieve stress when you when you kind of know um, what to expect. You know what kind of you know some of the you know the, the, the obviously the severe outcomes could be, um, and then you know what what they're doing to kind of try and avoid that. Um, that was always, uh, uh, yeah. It's just a I don't know. It's it's one of those things where it's it just there is a level of, of comfort that you do get there from just knowing that you know the people there and just the interactions that you have with the nurses and the, the health technicians and even the doctors and all that. I mean, they're always positive. It, it, it was. You know, you you could leave there knowing that, you know, one in that unit, you know, your 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 loved one is getting twenty um, four hour care, um, and and at, at the same time, it's it's good care. I mean, there are monitoring, they're watching, they're in there all the time. My mom presses the button on her little uh, push button, and she needs help. Um, you know, somebody would come right away. It was, you know, they did they get a, just a fantastic job of, of taking care of not only you know, my mom, but, uh, you know, the families that are involved too, uh, in, 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 in when, when these situations do arise. We're talking to Scott Billick of the Winnipeg Sun, whose mom Shirley had surgery to repair a leaky heart at St. Boniface Hospital, a leaky heart valve, rather, at St. Boniface Hospital last fall. And one of the reasons we're talking to you, Scott, of course, is we're talking about the hospitals because the summer bonus deadline for the tri-hospital lottery is midnight Thursday, June 25th. And of course, Money raised from that lottery supports the work and research at HSC Children's and St. Boniface Hospital, which is where your mom was at. And I'm curious for you, you mentioned, you know, the surgery went fine. It was what happened afterwards. And I think too often for many of us, we're always so focused on, I'll get in and I'll get this done. I might have my leg broken and it'll be fixed. I'll have my stitches done. I'll have uh, a much bigger surgery like your mom had. And it's what comes after that can be the biggest part of the journey. Yeah, exactly. Because um, you, you never know. Um, you know, my dad had uh, a similar surgery done. Uh, well, he had a heart open heart surgery done uh, with a couple bypasses uh, several years before that, and he was in and out um, you know, within a couple weeks. Um, and then, you know, when your mom goes in, you just don't know. You don't. It, it's open heart surgery. It, you know, it's one of the more invasive surgeries that you can have. It's you know full of risk, of course. You know, just given the nature of it and 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 you know sometimes you don't know uh, until the surgery's done that there there there's something underlying or something is going to affect something else like mom scoliosis did um so yeah um you know the fact that you know the tri lottery and that sort of thing all that money like you know heaven forbid that you have to go through something like this or or something even worse but i mean the fact that you know these people are so caring at, at the hospital uh, from the doctors right down to, you know, the person that comes in to, you know, shut off the little alarm button on the, uh, on the, on the, on the health monitor thing. I mean, they're all nice. Everybody's, and these people aren't just working, you know, it, it, it's, it's a tough job. You know, sometimes I think my job's tough, you know, being a, a reporter and then, you know, these, these, you know, they're, they're, they work a lot. They, you know, it, it's, it's, it's long hours. Um, it's working through the night sometimes and always, very kind um still uh never never a complaint about anything like that always informative always had the time of day to to, to talk to you about even the, the most you know minuscule thing that you have a question about um that you might you know just sitting there um always have an answer always you know it, it was just the care was always great 
um, throughout the whole thing. Uh, you know, it's hard to, you, you can't complain about it. Um, it's it just, yeah. I mean, all, you know, any, any, any dime that goes towards that, um, to me is, um, you know, it, 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 it's money well spent, uh, you know, and, and if you ever have to go through something like this, um, people will know, um, you know, kind of where that money goes to and, and to the level of care that you get is something um, that any person, you know, in the situation that we were in would, would want because um, it, it does help. It does help you be calmer, um, whatever, whatever it is. It, it just helps you kind of get through, uh, you know, a scenario that, that, that's, you know, not, uh, not favorable uh, at times. Well, Scott, before we let you go here, I mean, my dad also had open heart surgery this year. He had to replace his, uh, get his aortic valve replaced. And mm-hmm. they said it was routine and people told me it was routine and everybody kept saying, oh, he's at St. B, he's in good hands. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Easy to, for, to say to someone, oh, don't worry about it. But of course you worry. Yeah. But as soon as he got there, I realized why everybody was saying, don't worry about it because he was in such good hands at St. B. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, you know, it, it, yeah, it, it's funny, right? Because there's nothing you can do but worry about it. I mean, you know, people do tell you not to, but it's like, well, what am I supposed to do? I mean, this is, you know, it's your loved one in the hospital. But yeah, I mean, you know, when you when you look back at it, it's like, yeah, I mean, there, even during some of the worst times, it was there was it, 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 she was in good hands. My mom was always in good hands. Um, you know, I never never d- doubted that. Uh, just knowing how much. Um, yeah, how much care she was getting. It was, uh, yeah, it, it's just, it, 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 it's, it's, it's a, some peace of mind in, in a time where you don't normally have it, um, especially when, you know, complications do arise and stuff like that. Um, you know, just knowing that there's that little bit of a, I suppose, a foundation where you can, um, you know, you know that you're going to get, you know, it, it, they're going to be, they're going to tell you what's, what you know, what's accurate, what's true about the situation and, you know, they're going to help you guide you through it and make sure you're educated on kind of every decision that's kind of made in terms of your loved one's care. Scott Billick of the Winnipeg Sun joining us live on 680 CJOB to talk about how his mom, Shirley, had surgery to repair a leaky heart valve at St. Boniface Hospital last September. Scott, thank you so much for the time. Yeah, anytime, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. And once again, the deadline, the summer bonus deadline, midnight Thursday the Tri-Hospital Lottery supports the work and research at HSC Children's and St. Boniface Hospitals. Win big and give back by supporting Manitoba's three big hospitals. Support our caregivers, our frontline workers, and all of our healthcare heroes. You can order online at trihospitaldream.com. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.